I want to read this passage because this is a powerful passage. We've been talking about heaven uh, over the last few weeks. We had uh, Dr. Ransom with us last week. It was a wonderful, powerful, challenging message that he gave. And we're praying for the work going on all over North America and around the world that we get to be involved in. Uh, So I want to read this in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 18. So we were talking about two weeks ago, if you remember, about inheriting the earth. That whole thing that Jesus said about, uh, you know, blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. We talked about that. Jesus taught us to pray about God's will being done on earth just as it is in heaven. That's going to happen someday. You remember that about future plans for planet Earth. Now, I wanted to just unpack a little more on that because we didn't, y'all weren't listening fast enough. We didn't have time to get through all of it. So I want to turn to one of my favorite passages, and I want to go through this passage. There are online notes uh, on our Facebook page. You can go to that link, or if you're using your Uversion app, you can find it on there, and notes to, that you can keep and follow, because I've got several verses to share with you today, and I hope that you'll follow along. Now, get your Bible out, get it open. In Romans chapter 8, we're going to go through these verses, so you'll want to keep your Bible out, you'll want to keep it open, so you can look at it and let God speak to us. My job is to bring out what God is saying here. Here in its right context, interpret it properly, and so then let's all have the responsibility of applying it, right? I don't want to take some idea and try to cram it in here. I just want to bring this out, amen? The Word of God is alive and powerful. Oh yeah, and here's one. If you're bored, I want to tell you, it's you. It's not the Word of God. The Word of God's not boring. If you're bored today, it's you. You're boring. This isn't, all right? So get in here. All right, let's read it together. He's going to talk about what's going to happen in the future. So the question that I had throwing out there today is what happens after the end of time? Let's read this. He says, uh, let's start with verse, I said verse 18. I want to get a running start, verse 17. Now, let's go verse 16. Are you ready? The Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time, the sufferings, plural, notice that, of this present time are not worthy, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, uh, my Wednesday night Bible study class, It's another one of those. Remember, we've talked about that. It's another one of those we know statements that Paul makes. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains, in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of of our bodies for in this hope we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope 
For what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Ah, we're going to stand up under the load. We're going to hang in there. Oh, yeah, and he goes on to say, even in the meanwhile, meanwhile, the Spirit helps us, you know, uh, in our uh, prayers and our weaknesses and all of that. Amen. So that's another sermon. All right, so I want to come back to this because here's what we know. If you are tuned in and you see everything going on in the world today, and there are events happening, and, and those events are even more personal uh, to, to us uh, having been to Israel and, and some of the scenes and some of the places. We weren't in that southern part, but, but even interviewing people there at the Western Wall and all of that, I, said, I stood right there. Uh, things were, were, were so beautiful and calm then. You hate to think about what's happening now. Uh, so are events lining up here? Well, here's, here's, here's something else we know. We know we're in the last days. And we also know that we don't know exactly how things are going to come off, but we, we see that the potential of dominoes start falling in, in, in nations and things, and we're living in a power keg of a world. So here's the thing. We don't need to be panicking. We don't need to be uh, like desperate people, but we are confident. We have hope, okay? Uh, um, here's what is true is that the end is going to come. Exactly how? You know, you can get a good idea of it in Scripture, but the details may be a little differently than what happened a little differently than what we think. All the prophecies were there about the first coming of Christ, and the, some of the most uh, studied people didn't quite have it down right, right? So, so uh, we know signs to watch for, but here's what is our reality today is that we're closer than we've ever been, and it is going to happen. There is going to be a day. There's a day. It's a set, fixed day. A moment in time that is at yet future, although it may only be moments away, or it could be years away. But there's a day that time, as it has been known, will, not just on planet Earth, but our universe, will end. Then what? Well, the Bible gives us some information about that, and that's what I want to look at today. So, um, something is coming. We feel it. We sense it. If you're tuned into Scriptures, you understand a little bit of it. But the problems of planet Earth will be permanently solved, and time as we know it will be no more. So what's going to happen to this planet What's going to happen to all this stuff here, all this stuff that takes up our time, all this stuff that we're so focused on, all of the busyness and all the craziness, all the material things, all of that? What's going to happen? Are humans, as we look around, the potential of nuclear war is right on us here? Will humans succeed in destroying themselves? Will we destroy the planet? Then what happens after the end of time? That is what we're talking about here. Uh, this morning. So as we get into this passage, one of the first things I want you to see that comes out, that jumps out here as we begin to pop the hood on this, okay? We're going to take a look, right? Amen. Hey, that was a new one. <laughs> pop the hood on this verse, right? Okay. We see uh, the destructive nature of sin. We see the destructive nature of sin in the world. We see it all over the place, the destructive nature of sin. Now, we, 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 we are motivated still. 
We're motivated. How? Now, look at verse 17. He says, if we're children of God because of Christ, then we're heirs. We're heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Christ died to get us the inheritance, but because of that, when we die, there is an eternal inheritance laid up in heaven for you. You are an heir. You may feel like you're poor. You may feel like you don't have much. You may be suffering, but you are an heir. Co-heirs with Christ. That ought to motivate us. If you know who you are, do you know who you are without a doubt? If you do, it ought to motivate you and it ought to change your perspective on everything that's happening and happening in your daily life. Uh, but there, then he brings up this, oh, this great thing about being an heir and all of that. That's, that's great. That motivates us. But then he brings in this crazy word. We're heirs with Christ, provided we suffer. There's the word. Suffering? He brings that into the picture. That's part of the destructive nature of sin. That's part of the reality of the world in which we live. We suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. Things here are not perfect. Something bad did happen, right? Sin came into the world. Adam and Eve sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought the curse of sin. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, tried to operate independently of God, anytime you're independent of God, there's nothing left except cursing. There's no blessing because all of it comes from God. And when human beings began to think they could be their own God, it just doesn't work. She thought this is going to be the answer to what she wanted as she disobeyed God and partook of the forbidden fruit, but it brought sin. It brought a separation between God and human beings. And because of that, if you read back there in Genesis 3, there was a curse that God pronounced. We didn't pronounce it. Listen to me. Listen to me. Are you listening? The devil didn't pronounce it. God pronounced it. There's some wacky teachers out there trying to say somehow the devil slipped in here and tricked God. No. God is God and God's in control. The devil hasn't ever out-tricked God on anything. God himself pronounced the curse on our flesh. See, uh, things changed. Things changed, but the earth was also cursed. Actually, the whole heavens and earth were affected by this. And uh, suffering became a reality. Things aren't perfect. And here's the other thing. Did Christ suffer? That's what he says, if we uh, suffer with him. Did Jesus suffer in the flesh? Oh, yes, he did. Now, if Jesus suffered in order to obtain the glory of paying the price for our sin and then be uh, resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the Father, if our Lord suffered, it's okay if we also suffer. Now, I realize there are a lot of people telling you out there that, well, if you just trust Jesus, and if you just, if you just have faith in Him, that, that, that everything will be, you'll live your best life, and everything will just be fine. You don't have any problems. By the way, here's our mailing address. Send a check, you know, and that'll really help, right? Right? Uh, and things like that. There's people who say that stuff, but yet the Bible itself says there will be suffering. We got anybody suffering in here today? You're suffering so bad you can't even say amen. I know you are. I come in here and I'm like, how are you doing? Oh, man. Oh, well. you, you know, we've all got stuff. I've got some too, right? There is suffering in a lot of different ways that are going. But here's good news. It's temporary. 
It is temporary. Look at the next verse, verse 18. Then he says, now let's get this in perspective. Are you ready? I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. The thing about it is the suffering is very temporary. The glory is forever. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to put my focus on, I want to bank on what's permanent rather than getting stuck in just what's going to be passing away that's very temporary. Now, I know suffering in this life is all we know, and it seems like so familiar to us, but I want to tell you it's temporary. You know, we're having struggle with all kinds of things this morning. Cheryl and I were talking about that, weren't we? All struggling. I knew I was going to be preaching on this, so it helped me have perspective, right? But, but we're all struggling. Things don't just right, go right. Sometimes every time we do our best, you know, electronics get all mixed up, right? And um, things like that. But uh, the thing about it is, is all this world of suffering, the pains you wake up with, and where did that come from? And, and then bad news uh, with, from the doctor. All of these things, it's just temporary. It's not always going to be like this. But get this. It's not just that a better day's coming. It's not just that what's coming will offset this. He said, you can't even compare it. It blows it out of the water. Are you getting that? It blows it out of the water. It's going to be so awesome that it's no matter how bad you've suffered here, it will not even be like, I mean, you think about somebody that's been tortured. You think somebody that's been tortured for years and years and years and years, and then they, they, because of their faith in Christ and they die. People born with horrible pain and disabilities, that they suffer and they suffer. When they cross over into heaven, if you're a child of God, that very first moment, you're not going to look back and say, well, it was worth it. Here's what you're going to say. Eh, that was nothing. It was nothing compared to this. So that gives us motivation. We're also motivated not just to endure the suffering, but we have an eager longing for that, for what is next. He goes right into that. So he says, the creation waits with eager longing. Okay, That's what we have, eager longing. Uh, some translations say earnest expectation. We're just, you know, we're, we're, we're just so passionate about this. What are we expecting? What are we longing for? The revealing of the sons of God is what he says. We are, not only us, but even the creation. Now, some old translation, if you still use the old King James, it says creature there. Creature, and then it says creature in the next verse, and then later it changes to creation. I have to tell you, it's the same Greek word all the way through. And so I think being consistent is better. Plus, I know he's talking about creation and not just the creature, right? Creature. <laughs> like Ernest T. Bass, I'm not a creature. Creation. Talk about all of creation because then he says, uh, like, um, like in verse 22, that creation has been growing together. Uh, and now at verse 23, but we ourselves also. So he says, all this creation that's suffering and groaning, we ourselves, and compares it, contrasts it. So I know here he's talking about not just us, but all of creation uh, is, is expecting, longing for that day. That day that we were talking about, that day that we were singing about uh, earlier. Because one day it's all going to be brought to a close. How's that going to happen? We're going to look at it. It's judgment. It's called judgment day. And on that day, listen, the true sons of God will finally be revealed. Did you see that? The revealing of the sons of God. The sons of God. Uh, that is, you have full family privilege. Now, when he says sons, 
Um, now, say God knew that we would need extra help here at the very last of days because uh, with gender and things like that. He, he knew that because in the creation narrative back over in Genesis, he talks about how God created man. By the way, the Hebrew word for man is, guess what? Adam. Yeah. Somebody, somebody shouted that out. Who got that, man? Adam. Right back there. You knew that. You knew that. Man. Love it. Adam. It's Adam. Uh, and so when God created mankind, which includes male and female, he said, how did God create them? Male and female, he created them. He emphasized that. Now, and I realize in a world we live in, there's a lot of people struggling with this now. There's a lot of craziness about this. Uh, but when you don't have the light of God's truth, it, it, it doesn't surprise me that you, you have struggles with a lot of things. True? But the thing about it is, is if you, if you believe the Bible, you understand that God created things. God's a creator. He created a certain order. He created an order for family and everything else. God's created design. It's what works best, and, and it's, it's what he wants from us. Now, there's, I think, because of social media and because of a lot of that, there's a lot of people struggling with this that would have never thought about this. But there are a very few people who genuinely do struggle with their identity. Let me just give you some encouragement. If you believe the Bible, I want to tell you God doesn't make mistakes. God knew what he was doing when he created you, and he's going to help you be who he made you to be. Okay? That's not part of the sermon. That's just added bonus content. So, Wayne, take that off my time right there. So when he says sons of God, it is not referring to gender. It's referring to position or status, because if you were in this day when Paul wrote this, and you were reading that, and you were a, you were a woman, uh, you would think, what? Uh, because he's talked about being an heir. Well, in that culture, the women did not inherit the inheritance. Only the son did. But guess what? It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. You have the same status and position of son. You're all sons in that sense. There's no division. There's no one better, one higher than the other. We're all, that's why it uses that. So please understand that. We're all heirs. We're all in that position, uh, sons of God. Going to be fully revealed that it's going to happen. And sons have full family privileges. Yes, inheriting. And it's going to be revealed to forever to all of creation, to all of the universe, who God's people really are. That's what's going to happen on that day. So then he goes on in verse 20 and says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. The creation was subjected. What is that futility? It's that corruption he talks about. Where does that come? As we look at the whole scope of Scripture, we see it's the curse. It's that curse of sin. Creation itself was, and if you go back and I don't think you want us to take time to go back to Genesis 3 and, 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 and unpack all of that. But you know the story of how that even the ground was cursed because of sin. So what is he saying here? Creation was neutral in this. Human beings sinned. But it was subjected to that futility, that corruption because of us. Not willingly, but because of the curse on us. Creation was neutral. I mean, it's kind of like that time, our boys' class at school, it's kind of like that one time I was actually behaving. Now, was it Rosebud, by the way? Um, I was actually behaving, but because one guy was acting up, guess what? The teacher gave all of us a whooping. And so that's the way creation is. Creation was innocent. Creation was neutral. But, but the whole class got the whooping. 
Creation was cursed because of our sin. That's what he's talking about here. Not willingly, but because of him who he who subjected it. And so, but in the beginning, everything was perfect. If you remember, in the beginning, when God created at each day of creation, he said things were not only good, but what? Very good at the end. After, you know, on that, on that sixth day, it was very good. Uh, things were, were perfect. I, the gases of the atmosphere were all perfect. Uh, Adam and Eve, they didn't age. They, they didn't grow old. You know, they didn't get hurt. Uh, they didn't get fat. Um, uh, you know, it was just different for them. They were innocent. They, things were perfect. All of the, the atmosphere, the good, everything was just, you know, and, and for Adam and Eve had advantages, right? I mean, for one thing, Adam didn't have to hear about all the other guys that Eve could have married, right? right? And, and, and Eve didn't have to hear about how his mama did things, right? So, see, they had advantages then. Things were uh, so very good. Uh, but, but then everything changed when sin came. Everything, everything, everything in the universe began to change. This what we call the second law of thermodynamics rules here. That's the law of entropy. Things, systems tend to go from order to disorder. They tend to want to break down to simpler forms. Everything's that way. Everything's beginning to decay. Everything begins to rust. Everything begins to fall apart. You got to do that. We're talking about even this building. We're going to be putting new carpet, Lord willing, in here next week. Everything begins to wear out. Things begin to fall apart. That's what we, in fact, what we can actually observe is the opposite of evolution. Evolution has things going from the simple up to the complex, but what we can observe, systems tend to want to break down from complex to simple. Yeah. But it, it is decay. That's what happens here. I'm, I'm having a bit of entropy myself. Mm-hmm. Things beginning to fall apart. You're saying amen on the inside. I can just feel it. But look at verse 21. He says, in, verse, in, in that verse that, that in hope really tends to go, this is one big sentence, by the way. Verse breaks were added later on. He says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, that curse, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's going to happen with us, but creation itself is even anticipating. That's what that word hope means. It means anticipation. And you know, you kind of see creation straining for this. Every year as we go into fall and it gets pretty and everything, then everything goes dead in the winter and every spring it tries to renew itself, but it just can't quite get there, right? One of these days that renewal is going to happen. It's going to come, and it's going to be set free from that bondage, and it's going to get to share glory of God with us. Creation is looking forward to that. It's like the picture that Paul is painting. Meanwhile, though, everything here, meanwhile, we're groaning, right? He uses that term. You see that groaning. Things are getting worse, okay? I uh, wish I had some cheery, rosy thing to just kind of make everybody feel good. Right, feel good about myself. Well, things are going to get tougher. Ministry's going to get tougher. This isn't the same America we lived in in the 90s or the early 2000s, y'all. The Word of God hasn't changed. But some of the ways that we need to connect with people need to change because people aren't starting out at the same place. Okay? Here's what Paul said, uh, is subjected to the curse. We read that. Second Timothy, 
chapter 3, verse 12, or verse 13. It says, Indeed, all who desire to live, godly in life, live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Do you not see that happening? Oh, maybe one reason we're not persecuted is because we're not living very godly lives in Christ. And there was almost silence. Will be persecuted. I got to tell you, you give your heart, you surrender your life to Christ, everything changes for you beginning then. Your life changes, your eternity changes but there's still going to be some suffering. But the glory that's coming, you can't even compare the two. We are going to be persecuted. Be so, quit being so surprised and so offended that people persecute you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, some of you are persecuted because you act like jerks. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. But it's because we're in Christ, a godly life in Christ. Jesus is right there in the verse. Evil people and imposters. So there's evil people. There's people who don't think like you think. There's evil, genuinely evil people out there. They're going to get worse. They are getting worse. And there's also imposters. That's people who are in here acting like they're one of us. But they ain't. They're not. And they'll go from bad to worse. Deceiving. Do you see a lot of people trying to deceive today? And they are deceived. Both imposters inside and evil people outside. That's what Paul said is going to happen. But guess what? Satan will not succeed in stealing or corrupting this whole universe for good. God already had a plan before he even said, let there be light. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth, of the world. Before creation, foundation was even laid, so to speak. God already knew what it was going to cost him. God already knew what a sinner you and I would be. And he was already willing to say that you are worth this price. He already had a plan. He didn't figure out, what am I going to do about it? He already knew. And Jesus came. It was prophesied right there in the Garden of Eden then that the seed of the woman would come and crush the enemy's head. It was reconfirmed to Abraham when he said, through you is going to come someone. It's going to be a blessing to all nations. It was confirmed then uh, with Jacob, uh, Isaac and Jacob, and then in Moses, with Moses. And so many things in the law pictured Christ, as Paul tells us. They were like, they were like shadows cast by Christ and then when the fullness of the time came Paul tells us in Galatians in chapter 4 that God sent forth his son when the time was right Jesus came all those sacrifices all those feasts all those things pointed to this one who was to be our deliverer who was coming God already had a plan and Jesus Christ came and you know what he did he not only took our sin he took the curse in fact in Galatians look at it later Galatians 3 13 Paul says that he became a curse for us. Well, Jesus never sinned. How could he be cursed? Because built into the law, Paul tells us, was a little statement saying, cursed is anyone who's hanged on a tree. And he was hung on a tree. And Paul says that proves the fact that he took the curse. And he paid for the curse on our behalf so that we can be saved from sin. And guess what? The effects of the sin curse. We're going to be delivered. This isn't permanent. One part that is still cursed right now is our flesh. Hmm? Well, we've got two things. 
even though you're saved, even though you become a new creation in Christ, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or 17, or a new creature, if you're a creature, you're a new creation in Christ. Some of you that watch Andy Griffith got that. The rest of you think, what is that? Even though you're a new creature, a new creation in Christ, this new you still lives in this old flesh. This flesh is cursed by sin. Evidence of it. Look at how old some of you are looking. <laughs> Your flesh is cursed. We're going back to dirt. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Headed there. Right? Evidence that this flesh body is cursed. But I've also got a flesh nature attached to it. So even though uh, I'm saved and I'm made whole, my name's written in heaven, I still live in this sin cursed body. has a sin cursed attached to it. I have a sinful nature. That rebellious nature from Adam all the way affects me. And so I still, Paul talks about the battle in Galatians 5 between the flesh and the spirit, right? That battle that goes on. He's talking to saved people there. You ever feel that? So there's part of us that is still under that curse. And Paul says, because of this in Romans 8:10, if you look back at verse 10, he says, because of sin, the flesh, the body is dead because of sin, you know, this physical body. It's either going to die, go back to dust, or it's going to be changed if I'm alive at the resurrection. Okay? And he also says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, talking about resurrection, he explains that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There's going to be a change. There's going to be a resurrection. One of these days, we're going to have a new body. That's what Paul's talking about here, that we're eagerly groaning together. He says in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Don't you feel those contractions are getting a little bit more frequent? Um, don't let me plant ideas for you, Sydney. okay? Just be calm, okay? I'm talking about, this is an illustration that Paul gave about contractions, you know, coming and things like that. Uh, so, um, but they seem to be getting more frequent uh, now, right? But he goes on to say this, and not only creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruit of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. That's receiving our inheritance. The redemption of our bodies. There it is. My body still isn't fully, uh, uh, I don't have what I'm going to have, right? I'm still waiting for the redemption of my body. He's already paid for it, but I haven't got it. Everything involved in salvation. Now, you can know you're fully saved, but everything involved in your salvation you don't have yet. You get saved, you're, you, are, you are saved, uh, your name is written in heaven. If you were to die, you would, Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But your soul, that conscious self inside, mind, will, and emotion, we still struggle. Everything in my mind, will, and emotions isn't exactly Christ-like yet. Hmm? Are you there? Are you as perfect as Jesus in everything you think, in everything you do? So my soul is still growing. That's sanctification. But then my body's still going to die. But one of these days... I'm going to be delivered from the sinful nature. I'm going to be with him forever. I'm going to be perfect body, soul, and spirit. I have a body that will last forever in his presence. This is what we're longing for. This is what he's talking about here. There's still so much more to come. And even now, Romans 6 tells us I don't have to be a slave to my flesh. 
because I've got a, and Romans 8 tells us there's a higher power now inside that I don't have to obey the flesh. I've got the power of the living God inside me through God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in me. And so while we groan, there's something that is coming on the world. There is something that's going to happen, and it's God's judgment day. Did you see that? There will be a day. How's the creation going to be set free? Judgment day. And he tells us about this day, several places. Uh, I can mention several. This is just a scratching the surface of what we can find here. Uh, but in Acts 17, in verse 31, when Paul is preaching to the people in Athens, he says, because he, talking about God, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. There is a fixed day, folks, by a man whom he has appointed. Now, these people didn't know Jesus, so he says it that way. What man is he talking about? Well, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him, that man, from the dead. Who is it? Jesus. He's introducing them to Jesus and the fact that there is a day that is fixed. It's not going to be put off. It's not going to change. It is fixed and it might be right around. It might scare you to no end to see how close that fixed day is. I could preach on that a while, but let's move on, right? Amen. Peter talks about it. Let's talk about that day. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the... These highlights are mine, just so you see it. The day of judgment. There's coming a real day, folks. And destruction of the ungodly. Day of judgment, destruction of the ungodly. Drop down to verse 10. He says, but the day, there's coming a day, folks, a fixed day. The day of the Lord, he calls it, will come like a thief. Now, it's not saying the Lord comes like a thief. It's the day comes like a thief. Okay, And then the heavens, that's the universe, the stars, the galaxies, all of that out there, solar system. Heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies that's out there, the universe, will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Why? Judgment. Ain't no hiding anymore. Crawling under a rock if you want to. It's going to be exposed. Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now, this this, this sentence goes on into the next verse, but I put a question mark there. That's my question mark, because I feel like he's asking a question right there. You're thinking about this. You know this. What kind of people are we to be if we really believe this? If you're going on out there like living like, like you don't even believe this is true, if you believe it's true, shouldn't it change the way you live? Lives of holiness and godliness? Come on, y'all. Verse 12, let's finish that sentence. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day. There it is again. The day of God. Because of which, he goes over it again, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to his promise, I'm glad it doesn't stop there, aren't you? It's all going to be dissolved. It's all going. But he says, but according to his promise, we have a promise. We have a promise, amen? We are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's going to be perfect. That God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, a new outer, uh, you know, outer space and a new earth. There's going to be a resurrection. Are you hearing this? Of creation. I'm going to be resurrected and have a new body, but creation is going to be resurrected 
as well. A new heavens and a new earth. We talked about that two weeks ago just a little bit, but I believe this. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. This isn't just stuff that come up in the New Testament. Did you know Isaiah spoke about this? Hmm? Yeah. Way back there. Isaiah 51, 6, he says, lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at all the outer space. And look at the earth beneath. For the heavens will, uh, the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But God's saying, my salvation will be forever. And my righteousness will never be dismayed. Forever. Are you going to live happily ever after? Better than that. How about happily forever after? Amen. Listen, mankind is not going to succeed in destroying this world. God's going to do it. And there's a day. There's a coming day. Uh, I'm running out of time, but um, I haven't been preaching as long as you think because it got started a little bit later. But in Revelation chapter 20, verses, uh, uh, there it is, verse 11 through 15. I want you to, I'm just going to read this. I'm not going to try not to comment. Listen, listen to this. This is word of God speak. Then I saw a great white throne. He's looking into the future, into this day and what's happening on that day. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. That's God. I, oh, I said I wasn't going to call me up, sorry. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. They're not dead, are they? That just refers to their body, okay? Okay, let's get on with it. Books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Hell's not in its final form either, folks. This is the permanent place. And he says this in verse 15, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is God describing what's going to happen. But right after that, your name's in the book of life, there's a day of deliverance. There's a day of deliverance. A day, my battery's wearing out on this. I can see it flashing. Give me the next slide there, Brother Jeff, if you would. The day of deliverance and redemption, even for the creation. All right, next, let's keep going. Um, I'm going to put a new battery in this thing, I promise. Revelation 21, he says, I, we, we did this two weeks ago. Read this with me. Quit, quit being distracted and let this sink into you. Look at it. I, I, you're right there in your Bible, but you, you can look up here too. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. We read about that, didn't we? Were you? Yeah. And the sea was no more. So it's going to be a little different. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, that's what we would think of as heaven right now, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. Somebody ought to say amen. Amen. Anymore, for the former things have passed away. This isn't just a New Testament concept. Isaiah 65, Isaiah talked about this too, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. So here's the thing. All that bad stuff is going to be wiped away. Now, in hell, Jesus described it as a place where the worm never dies. Talking about maybe that's those memories, those opportunities you had that you squandered. That'll live on. But when you get to heaven, all the bad stuff will be wiped away. You won't remember it. It'll be gone. Uh, it's just a little tidbit there. Okay, so let's, let's think about this. This is continuity that we're going to have, is that we have new flesh. We're going to be resurrected. You're going to be given a body that's going to be perfect. I can't describe it, but I know it's going to be like Jesus' resurrected body. They knew who he was. There's going to be continuity of this self, into the, except it's going to be like, okay, it's going to be me 3.0. You know, like software upgrades. Me 1.0, the original version was sinner, lost, all that. 2.0, that's me saved and growing in Christ right now. This 2.0. But 3.0 is going to be perfection. But it's still going to be me. And you're still going to be you. You're not going to turn into some angel floating around. You will be you. You will be you, the you God always meant for you to be. And he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And, and the holy city is coming down. And, 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 and get this, it's not that we're going to go off to some far off misty place to be around God. God's coming home. We're all coming home together. In my house, he says, you're going to be in my house. You're not going to be in some cabin in the corner of Glory Land. I know even sometimes we sing about that. That'd be all right, yeah. But we got more than that. He says, you're coming into my house. I'm going to live with you. God's going to live with us. And there's going to be this holy city. And the gates are always open. If you read all of that, you can go in and out. And you can enjoy the whole new creation of this whole new earth. How awesome is that going to be? We're going to know each other. We're going to have real relationships. He says, people are going to come from the east and the west and every direction and sit down with with. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob you're going to know those people you're going to know your friends you're going to know your family we're going to get together we're going to have perfect memories we're going to share time together and we're going to have purpose and we're going to have meaning as we do everything we could enjoy it'll be life as it was always intended this is what God meant when he created Eden and it's going to happen and we're going to be there and we're going to have it forever and nothing will ever get in the way no shadows there The Lamb is the light, and we will have our inheritance forever. That's what Paul was talking about here in Ephesians 1. In Him you also, talking about Christ, when you heard the word of truth, that's the gospel, the gospel of your salvation. Oh, I love it. This isn't just the word of God, it's the gospel of my salvation. And believed in Him, there's faith. Here's what happened. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, he says, if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. You can't be saved without the Holy Spirit. You don't get saved and then get the Holy Spirit later like that. You can't be saved without him. He places you, he baptizes you into the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us. You become part of the body of Christ. You become part of the family of God. 
And he says, you're sealed. Who is, look at this, the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here's what he's saying. The fact that God is in you. You're seeing some fruits of the Spirit now, but the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is like God's seal. It's like God's earnest money that's been deposited saying there's more to come. The fact that the Holy Spirit is in your life is a guarantee on God's part. I'm good for the rest of it. You haven't received your inheritance yet. Lord, I just need to trust you. But he's already given you in your own self a sign, a seal. The fact that God says, I'm good for all of it. Hang in there. And one of these days, we will possess that inheritance. That's what he was talking about when he said you're an heir. Co-heirs with Christ. That's what he was talking about. And so there we go. The curse will be reversed. If we read on in Revelation 22, I read this two weeks ago. In verse 3, it says that there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. I don't know what's the matter with us. His servants shall serve him. Paradise lost becomes paradise regained. And I'll close with this again. Whew. Since I could die at any time, I need to know now if heaven's my home. Father, I, I do thank you so much.